famous passage that uh, maybe right up there with Psalms 23 is the most well-known passage in all of Scripture. As we, continue, we look here, as we continue on with asking the question, who is this baby in a manger? Why is he so special that we continue to celebrate him, that we do give gifts at this time of year? And we've looked at, three weeks ago, we looked at how he is the new beginning, that he's the new start, just as Adam uh, helped to usher in and was a representative of the first creation that ultimately was sullied by sin in the same way Christ ushers in a new, uh, new era, a new creation as well as the second Adam, one that is, will be perfect and that we look forward to in a new earth and a new heaven. Then we looked at how he is the promised king that the Old Testament uh, prophesies again and again about a king that will come and whose reign will be perfect and whose reign will be eternal. And we see that fulfilled in Christ, this baby who is born and who we celebrate in Christmas. Last week, we looked at how he is a blessing to all, that the gift that he gives is not one that is for a few. It is not for a select in terms of one culture or one economic status or one group of very religious people, but no, rather it is for all who will put their faith and trust in him. This morning, we come to Luke chapter 2, and we hear from an angel who he is. We hear of their description, heaven's description of this baby. And so if you would, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we have much to be excited about, much to be thankful for, much to praise you for. You have come. You have fulfilled all of the promises you have stepped into human flesh that we might know you, Lord, not just in the moment, but that we may know you for all of eternity. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, as we are reminded of these things, Lord, that your spirit would stir within us that joy that is proclaimed by the angels. 
Lord, again, not just for the day, not just for the moment, but Lord, that we would live every moment, every day, remembering this good news that has been given. Father, we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You have probably been asked this before, but can you imagine what it was like for these shepherds sitting out, tending to their flock, making sure everything is okay? Maybe they were discussing the politics of the day. Maybe they were talking about how hard life was. And maybe they were talking about how dumb sheep were. Nothing, not that there's wrong with anything with sheep. But maybe they were, who knows what they were discussing. But in that moment, something happened that had never happened before. An angel appears. Now, angels had appeared to others, but certainly these guys had never seen one. And yet there they are confronted with this messenger of heaven who gives them amazing news. News of not good joy, not temporary joy, but news of great joy joy that a baby has been born and not just any baby but this baby is different this baby is special and it fits in right with what like I said what we've been talking about these last three weeks about who is this one that we would worship who is this one that the angel would proclaim the birth that a multitude of heavenly hosts would sing of the glory of God in this moment well the angel gives us three things The angel says that he is Savior, that he is Christ, and that he is Lord. And so this morning, we're going to take a quick look at all three of those. That this baby that was born is Savior, is the Christ, and is the Lord. And my prayer is is that as we go through these three, that we would be overwhelmed by the depth of what God has done for us. That we would understand the ramifications of this baby that is born who would grow and who would lay down his life for us, that we would be overwhelmed by the magnitude of all of eternity and that we would join in the song of the angel, glory to God in the highest. The first title that the angel and the first way that the angel describes Jesus is to declare that this baby is Savior. That this baby would be salvation for others. And there's some questions that go along with this. What, this is, what do they say? What is he saving us from? A savior from what? And the answer is from our sin. If you were here last night, you heard this passage uh, last night as we talked about on Christmas Eve. But turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. And in Matthew chapter 1, we have another encounter with an angel. There it is, the angel that appears to Joseph. Joseph is struggling. Joseph has this fiance who is pregnant, and it's not his. And he doesn't know what to do. But he doesn't want to shame her. He doesn't want to make a public spectacle out of her. But rather, he is debating whether he should just put her away quietly. Basically, the idea would be that she would have a home away from him. In verse 19, it says, And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, from that which is con- for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." So when we ask the question, what is Savior from what? The answer is, He is Savior from our sin. He did not come to save in a political sense. He did not come to save uh, merely some physical ailments that we, we have. He came to deal with the problem that the Bible makes very clear is the, the problem for all of humanity. And that is that we have rejected God. That we have rebelled against Him. I was talking with a, an individual this week and they said, you know, it's one thing for us to understand that humanity has rebelled, that humanity has sinned, that we've broken the law of God. It's another thing for us to understand that we as individuals have done that. That when every time we have lied, every time that we have been jealous, we have been unforgiving, every time we have cheated, every time that we have taken a step outside of God's will, which we all have, then we are all guilty. And that guilt means that we stand before God, not not as a God who loves us, but as a God who will judge us. And there is nothing that we can do to undo that fate. There's nothing that we can do to make up for that rebellion. We're stuck in our guilt with our deserved consequence. And yet, this baby has come to save us from that fate, to do something about that which we could not. And so the second question is, how? How does he save? And the answer, of course, is the cross. Turning to Romans chapter 5, we'll be looking at Romans in the new year. So this is a little bit of a prequel. But starting in Romans 5, starting in verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. The amazing reality of this baby is that He would save us from our sins through His own death that He would take upon Himself that which we deserved. And now, because of that sacrifice, because His resurrection seals the victory, we stand before God, not guilty, but rather innocent. And even more than innocent, we stand before God as sons and daughters of the Most High, heirs to the kingdom. And that's worthy of being excited about. That's worthy of joy. There's another question that I want to ask, though. We say that He saves us from our sins. We say that we know that He saves us through the cross and through the resurrection. But what, to what degree does He save? 
And the answer is completely. Now, what, do I, what I mean by that is this. If you save someone from falling off a cliff, let's say, they're on the edge of the, preface, the, the, edge of the cliff, the, the very pinnacle, the precipice, and they're holding on for dear life, and you grab them and you pull them back on, you have saved their life, right? But the reality is that you have not saved them from death. You have saved them in the moment, but tomorrow there may be another danger. Tomorrow there may be another medical issue. Tomorrow there may be another accident. You have saved them for the moment. And so you've saved them just to a degree from their ultimate fate. So does Christ then save us partially? To what degree does He save us? Does He save us just partially? Just in a moment? Just from the sin that we had committed up to that point? Does He save us in such a way that we can go back? That we can revert? No, friend. He saves us completely. His sacrifice when we come to Him in faith saves us not just from the past sins we've committed, but it also covers the future that we have had. Christ says that when we come and find ourselves in Him, that we are planted in His hand and no one can take us away from Him. Paul says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so we can rejoice and have great joy and have great hope in the fact that not only is He a Savior, but He is a Savior who saves completely, without, without wavering, without degree. So He is our Savior. He is also the Messiah. Now that term Christ, as, as I've just mentioned, can be interchanged with Messiah. Christ, those, those two terms largely go back and forth. In the Old Testament, you're going to see the word Messiah more. In the New Testament, you're going to see the word Christ more. But they are in many ways, one and the same. And they mean the same thing. They mean the anointed one. Now, in the Old Testament, we see anointing happen to a select few. We see anointing happen to the kings, most, uh, probably most prominently David. We see Samuel take David out from among his brothers and anoint him as the next king of Israel. But we see other kings anointed as well. We see the priest that would serve in the temple anointed, would see prophets at times anointed and to be set apart for a special purpose. And oftentimes, in the case of kings and priests and prophets, that anointing, that special purpose, has to do with intercession between God and His people. You think about a king being an intercessor in the sense that he is supposedly leading the people to follow God and protecting them and standing in as the, the director and the ruler of the people on the behalf of God. We see a priest who intercedes between the people and God, a priest who brings the sacrifices before God and to cover the sins of the people, to lead them into worship before a holy God. We see a prophet who brings a message of God, who is the, the lips and the tongue and the voice of God to his people. In the same way, this Messiah, this Christ, this anointed one, this baby who lies in the manger is 
set apart for a special purpose. To be an intercessor between God and the people. He's not just the anointed one, he is also the promised one. We're not going to go into a great amount of detail. We've spent three weeks looking at the different promises that were made throughout the Old Testament that someday that this anointed one, this Messiah would come and everything would change. Everything would change. And certainly, as we see this baby, as we hear the proclamation of the angel, then we understand that this Messiah truly is the king, the priest, and the prophet who changes everything. He is the king whose reign never fades. He is the priest who ushers in the new covenant, whose sacrifice is once and once alone, that there is no need to come again and again and again with sacrifices. But that is done and through with a better covenant Hebrews would say, it is the prophet who comes with a new announcement of good news. You think about the prophets of old, and so many times they come with prophecies and with messages of great doom and destruction, but Jesus comes with one of repentance and good news that there's life and life abundantly. He is the, he is the Savior, He is the Christ. And he is the Lord. I don't know what depth, to what depth, the angels understood this last part. Did they understand in totality when the angel declares this baby the Lord, did they really grasp what that, that truly meant? I don't know. I would like to think so. I would like to hope so. Maybe they did later. But for us, when we see that phrase, He is the Lord, then we should understand that what the angel meant by that is that He is God. God in the flesh. When we think about Jesus, this is sometimes hard for us to comprehend. It's sometimes hard for us to wrap our brain around how He is fully human and fully God, but that is truly what He is. He is the answer. He is the fulfillment of of the prophecy, Emmanuel, God with us. And he comes that he may be known. He comes, he is God, that he will be known, that you and I could have a relationship with him. Not that we would just know him in a mental capacity, not that we would just meet him uh, in a chance, in a happen chance way, but rather he has come that we would know him in a relationship where there is a discussion, where there, is, uh, there are shared feelings, where there is trust, where there is even more than friendship, where there is dependence. He came that you and I would not just simply know of Him, but that we would know Him personally. He came not just to be known, He also came to be obeyed. A Savior... And we've talked about this before, but a Savior can be appreciated. A Savior can be admired and not be obeyed. There are certainly different people in our culture and different people that we maybe even know that have played the role of Savior in that temporary way that we talked about earlier. And they are appreciated and they are admired and they are maybe even given parades and honors and medals. And those are good things, but they are not saviors who are to be obeyed. 
We don't sit there and ask them for their direction. We don't sit there and ask them to tell us how to live our lives. That seems ridiculous. But if Jesus Christ, the Christ, who is born in the manger, is not just Savior and Messiah, but He is God in the flesh, then He is also to be obeyed. Not just admired, not just celebrated, but He is to be followed. He is to be listened to. He is to be the direction and the course setter for our life. And lastly, He comes as God to be known, to be obeyed, and to be worshipped. Throughout Scripture, we see different appearances of angels. And anytime you see an angel, there's a temptation for the individual who makes that realization and, and sees that to drop to their knees and to worship. The spectacle of an angel being so overwhelming. And yet, angels are always quick to say, no, 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 don't worship me. I'm not the one who is worthy. Don't do that. In Revelation, you see John and the angel, John drops to his knees to begin to worship this angel. And you see the angel, get up, get up, get up, get up. Almost like hope nobody saw that happen. But not this baby. Not this one. God in the flesh is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our praise. He invites it. He even expects it. And so when we come before this manger, we come before our Savior. We come before our Messiah, the anointed one who changes everything. And we come before God that we may know Him, that we may obey Him, and that we may worship Him. How then shall we respond? Well, the shepherds give us a pretty good, pretty good way to go, I think. It says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. How do we respond? First, we come and see. Can you imagine if these shepherds would have been sitting out tending their sheep and the angels appear to them and they hear the whole the host of heaven singing praises and glory to God and it all goes away everything goes back to the way it was and these guys would have went that was weird hey that sheep just got out let's go take care of that Can you imagine if they would have just sat there and been like eh, good story Glad that happened. That made, light, that made the night go a little faster. I'm glad we did that. No, that seems ridiculous, right? You know, when the host of heaven appears before you and a message like that is given to you, you respond. You're like, we got to go check that out. We got to go see if that really happened. We got to go understand what's happening. And so these guys get up and they go into town and they begin to search for the baby and they find this baby just as the angel described, and they wonder and they glorify. 
Friend, if you are here this morning, you hear of Jesus Christ. You hear of His birth. You hear of the joy that He brings, the life that He offers, the forgiveness that He extends. If you hear of of Him being the Savior and the Messiah and the God in the flesh, the Lord, don't just shrug your shoulders and walk away. Come and see. Come experience Him. Come see what life abundantly really means. Come see what it means to have joy everlasting. Come see what it means to have hope and forgiveness. Come see what it means when Paul says, death, where is your sting? I don't see it. Come and see. Come test him. See if what he says is true. The shepherds go and they search him out. And again, imagine with me the ridiculousness of them going and they experience the angels. They experience the, all that has happened in this evening. They go to the manger. They find that it is true that this baby has been born, that it's just like the angel says. And then they turn around and just go back to the field. They turn around and they don't tell anybody about it. Again, it's ridiculous. No, they go through town and they're telling everyone I imagine in my mind's eye that they go to the watering hole of Bethlehem to where everyone is partying. partying. Everyone's gathered together. The root beer bar. Okay, They join in and they are, they are like, you guys are never going to believe what just happened tonight. And they tell them about angels and they tell them about this message and they tell them about this baby being born in a barn and that he is the Messiah It says the people wondered at what the shepherds had told them. This is what we've been talking about for the last six months almost. That when God intervenes in your life, when something spectacular happens, we are not meant to be quiet. We are not meant to go back to our old ways of doing things. We are meant to share it. As we have said many times, and we'll probably say many more times, our testimony, how God intervenes in your life, is personal, but it is never meant to be private. It's meant to be shared. It's meant to be exclaimed. And when we do that, people will wonder. They will be intrigued. And we pray that they will be drawn to Him. I imagine years later, 30 years later maybe, Jesus is standing in front of a great crowd and he's preaching a message like no one has ever heard before. And there is a shepherd in the crowd going, there's something different here. I wonder. I wonder if this is that baby. I wonder if they hear of the resurrection, of all the things that have happened in Jerusalem, of the crucifixion, And they hear that the body is gone, that he has been raised again. And I wonder if they didn't go, I remember that night. And it changes them. Who knows what kind of seeds you will plant as you tell your story, as you talk about how God has intervened in your life. That it may not be immediate that the individual believes, that it may not be immediate that they come to know Christ. But 30 years later, they go, aha, that's what all that meant.
come and see, go and tell, and then we worship together. It says, and the shepherd returned, shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. They came, they experienced Christ for themselves. They saw what the angels had been talking about. They were blown away and they began to share everything that had been told to them. They told everyone that they saw. And then they worshipped. Just as the angels had broke out into song, glorifying God, so these shepherds broke out as well. They could not be contained. My prayer is that as I have mentioned already, that we, would, that we would do that as well. That we would worship the one that has come. That we would sing his praises. That we would glorify him in the streets. Not just today. Not just on Christmas. But that every day we would praise him. That we would sing joy to the world. For he has come. This morning, I pray that you will join me in responding to this baby in a manger, to who he becomes in our Savior, our Messiah, and the Lord. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up, and we're just going to have an opportunity to respond. Maybe it is this morning that, that you need to place your faith and trust in him. And we pray that you would do that. And if you don't know how, come ask us. Come find us. We would love to tell you. This morning, maybe it is that you are here, a believer, you're here to worship, you're here to celebrate this birth, and we hope that you'll stand with us and that, to sing with us, but I pray that you would respond this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and Lord, we thank you. Father, we thank you that you saw our situation, Lord, as rebels, as enemies that had rejected you, that had ran away from you that you knew of our situation and of the consequences of our decision, and you made the choice to step out of heaven, to wrap yourself in the flesh, to come as a baby born in a manger, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God in the flesh, that you may do what we could not, that you paid a price that we could not, so that we would know heaven so that we would know you. Father, I pray this morning that we would respond in obedience and in worship to the one true God, to the Savior of our souls. Father, we pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.